and welcome back to another episode of Opera Omnia. This is the podcast that takes a director season by season, works through their entire filmography, their body of work, their Opera Omnia, if you will. Each season I'm joined by a special resident guest host who will work through the entire season with me. Season 3 is looking at David Fincher. We're on episode number four, which means we are doing Fight Club. Joining me, as always, for season three is my good friend and podcasting companion, Bo Ransdell. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well, despite tree problems, as <laughs> we discussed off the air. No, I look, this is uh, this is what it's been all building to, Duncan. Um, you know, like we we had a lot of agreement uh, on, on the... Uh, last episodes, yes. especially with uh, even something like the game, where both of us are like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's got its moments, but it, it's fine. Um, I think this is really the discussion. People like I've seen it online. I've seen people that like oh, already, shit. yeah, like, oh, already, yeah. 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 The, the anticipation is here, um, and and finally, the big day has come where uh, we can discuss Fight Club out in the open we don't have to tease we don't have to hide it's like the the final match no more (laughs) weigh-ins we we've threatened each other uh across the table our (laughs) managers have kept us apart and now duncan the fight is on yeah i mean i I, i'm kind of i'm kind of secretly anticipating a fight um, but if we don't have one, to be honest, like overall, if we don't have one, I don't think the listeners are going to be shortchanged, whichever the outcome is here. It's, it's going to make for interest and listen. This is like film number four for Fincher, and yeah. one that sees him having to create an unsteady alliance back with Fox who he got royally shafted over Alien 3. Uh, they purchased the rights to this book before he managed to get his hands on it. Uh, author is Chuck Palahniuk, I think is how you pronounce his name. Yeah, something like Palahniuk, Palahniuk, yeah, something so, like that. something like that. So this yeah. fucking guy. Um, he is fucking, fucking <laughs> guy with an L-U-H-N-I yeah. all in a row. What nah. the fuck? Yeah, this Palahniuk. Is, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. But he wrote this book. Like Palooka. <laughs> And what's interesting about this one is this is one of the few occasions I can think of in in kind of film history where the author has active, actively come out and said, no, the film version's better. Which is <laughs> like... Yes, I would say that is true. He's like, I'm not a Chuck Palahniuk fan who also did Choke as well. Yes. And, and uh, yeah, he, he kind of falls into that Brett Easton Ellis category for mm-hmm. me. Where it's like you're kind of a pop culture writer. They're yeah. not terrible writers, but they're not great. Yeah, and and the material tends to be kind of sensational. I mean, there's there's a interestingly enough, it's the first time around that I've actually when watching the movie made the comparison to American Psycho. You know, like the, oh god, yeah, yeah, and oh, I had yeah, never yeah. done that before. Like I never like <laughs> okay. I don't know why, but it has been years since I saw Fight Club. So, but this time watching it around, it's like, oh, holy shit. (laughs) Narration all the way through it. You know, it's kind of like, it's like the reverse Fight Club, though. Uh, No, it's like the reverse um, American Cycle, because whereas Patrick Bateman is obsessed with materialism, this movie feels like it's coming at it from the different angle. It's almost like the answer to the question of American Cycle in a lot of respects. Um, Yeah, while still sharing the same ethos. Like agreeing on the problem. Yes. Yes. They yes. both agree on the problem and they, they take different approaches. I would agree with that. Yeah, so um, it's going to be interesting for, for sure because, like I say, I just assume, 
and I make this assumption a lot, that there are just certain movies that are relatively well-liked or beloved. Um, not off the back of my enjoyment of them, just by by the nature of their cult status. And Fight Club sure. was not well, re- well, it was well received critically to an extent. It didn't make a lot of money for the money that was invested. It's a $70 million movie. And, you know, it didn't, it didn't exactly set the world on fire. Um, when it when it made its cinema run, however, it has achieved huge cult status since. So, like the the, the DVD rental market for this movie kind of has cemented it as a weird time. Ca- I was going to say a time capsule, but this is still a movie that very much like when they talk about the Matrix, Red Pill, Blue Pill, uh, Fight Club is constantly it's, it's memeable. It's very memeable for twenty twenty one, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that. Uh, I think Fincher was so invested in this, uh, like so, so invested in this. He's like, like pretty much everything we've seen about the guy thus far. Once he gets something in his head, he is determined that that vision is the vision that will make the screen. Um, and if that means you sit and you go through everything with him, like several times. Uh, famously, Edward Norton said that he spent over a month recording just the narration dialogue. With Fincher because he didn't like the tone. <laughs> Just can't make it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not not my tempo. Yeah, like pretty much. Like essentially, he he had a specific idea of what he thought the narrator should sound like, the cadence and the key. And um, he, he, they just kept doing it uh, until they got what was happy. He made Helena Bowman Carter and Brad Pitt record hours and hours of orgasm noises. Yeah, it's like three days was that session. Three that days of audio recording, which is hilarious. Fucking nuts. Like, you just, yeah. like, intense Fincher stuff. And maybe my favourite little uh, little fact about this movie overall before we, before we kind of swing into... Uh, pre-review statements and then take a break is this one that I actually only ever found out about through Joe Rogan and I confirmed it this morning on IMDb because that's where you confirm things Bo, I don't know if you know that, you confirm them directly on IMDb as fact, mm-hmm. um, even though they're very much like Wikipedia, anyone can just jump on and uh, do whatever they want uh, in terms of editing stuff um, Oh okay, just editing when you say do whatever you want I immediately think filth <laughs> Well, there's a there's a little bit of that in here, uh, for sure. So the the filth that we are actually talking about um, is specifically related to a sex scene in this movie, and what you get is it's a, it's a great line. Um, basically, they have sex for the first time. It's a big old nasty, <laughs> big old nasty sex session, and. Uh-huh. Um, you have the original line in the book was Marla turned around and saying, um, I want to have your abortion, uh, which apparently Fox um, didn't like, really, really, really didn't like it. So they tried improvising many different lines. Um, apparently none of them would really work all that well. And then Fincher wrote a line in the movie, uh, <laughs> which was, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that made it into the movie, but as soon as Fox saw it, Fox said they would have preferred the abortion line. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, huh. they, they want the, ori- I, I the original the line school- back yeah. in. <laughs> I think the grade school thing, I mean, they're both offensive, right? And that's the whole point is yeah. that she says this crazy shit after sex, but... Um, I think the abortion is slightly more offensive than being fucking grade school, but you know, 
molestation versus abortion, you be the judge. Mm -hmm. I suppose one is a legal act and the other is highly not. So maybe that's the, you know, they're like, hey, the abortion's better. But abortion just has a, a, a harsher sound to it. I mean, this is this is the, like we were talking off air about your computer issues at the moment. Uh, this is the Bo Ransdell approach to removing, uh, putting a computer upstairs to work at work with a fan that makes a noise as opposed to the one in the room downstairs now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There are reasons you have done that, but you know the reasons you've done that is to kind of force your action. Um, right, I, I have Tyler Durden myself with this computer. It's, pre it's pretty much what's happened here. They're like, this This line's like kind of kind of. Who offensive. brought this computer up here? <laughs> I did. Who, who, uh, what, what was, then what is my, my name? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Yes. So I kind of, I kind of love that about it. Like all these little bits and bobs that that kind of flow, kind of through it. Um, I can I yes, throw in please, a couple more yeah, I, I, yeah, I want a couple of, yeah, throw in some film trivia, and then we're going to get into where we both are approaching this movie before our viewing for this recording. So go for it. Yeah. So, uh, it, speaking of Fincher not trusting Fox. Mm -hmm. They had to have like a whole Geneva convention <laughs> where Fincher and 20th Century Fox and like Arnold Milchen, who produced the movie, like all sat down and uh, had to had to have a tete-a-tete -tete mm -hmm. about the, the movie where Fincher ultimately walked away with everything. Yes. Where he get, you know, he got the cut of the movie he wanted and all that stuff. Um, also, as they're making this movie, they go way over budget because he's shooting like three times the film that you normally do for a movie. Yeah. 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 And so he has to call up the producer, Arnon Milchin, and, and say like, yeah, I need like another $35 million <laughs> to make this movie that is questionable at best. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, the producer was like, you can go fuck yourself. And so the production company which was kind of separate from the producer uh, was like, look, we're going to give you the money and we're just going to keep sending dailies to Arden Milchin mm -hmm. until he comes around. Because once he sees what you're doing, he's, he's going to be cool with it. And so they started sending him dailies. And after like a couple of weeks of it, Arden Milchin gets on the phone with David Fincher and he's like, all right, all right, it's good. <laughs> You got your money, but you know, don't be such an asshole next time. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, but yeah, so so Fincher got the cut he wanted, got all the money he wanted, um, you know, uh, kind of got the actors he wanted. Um, I, I think that Norton was sort of the the like that was the guy. I think that he gave the studio permission to choose. Yeah. It was who was it? It was Norton and somebody else, and he was like, "I can't pick. They're both great." Yeah, and Norton I, I was remember. like heavily invested in this as well, like from from the kind of onset. He's like, I, what I love about David Fincher is, yeah, yes, he's a he's a control freak, but at the same time, he needs his actors to be invested in this subject matter, like fully um, and committed. And as a result of that, and that's this this kind of enduring friendship that's come out of this recording since apparently um, Norton 
Fincher and Pitt are relatively tight. I think specifically Pitt and Fincher um, are like super tight on, you know, I read somewhere that they they hang out all the time, they go for dinners and and chats. Movie nights. Yeah, yeah, movie nights and all that stuff, which I think is really great. But like Errol Norton was heavily involved with a ton of aspects in here, just out with his character um, which I think is really interesting um, and Fincher took a lot of that on board which once again is not something you will see um, throughout the entire Fincher catalogue there are certain points where um, you know Fincher's like no we're going to film this 80 times and we, we might do it another 80 <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just seeing guys like clear schedules uh, but in this one I'm not saying he didn't do that with, with Norton but his involvement seems to be a bit more um, a bit more involved in in terms of the, the, the kind of setup and execution, which I think is really interesting. It's kind of like that uh, she's having a baby moment mm-hmm. where the, the grandparents are pushing Kevin Bacon's ass, like, get in there, give us a baby, <laughs> you know? And Fincher's like that with Norton. He's like, get in there, narrate the shit out of this. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, like there, uh, you know, we talked about it with the game where the game felt messy. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like a movie that Fincher didn't have have his arms totally around. Whereas this movie has that kind of uh, Fincherian uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh, precision, mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh, every frame of this movie is it, it, like this is exactly how he wanted to arrange this. Yes, you know. Whereas the game feels like, yeah, it's his movie and all, but it feels it, it feels unusually sloppy for a Fincher movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is like, oh, this fight, this is tight as a drum. We're back to seven. And even even kind of Alien 3 for all its problems and mismanagement and stuff, I, I would argue feels more like a Fincher movie even than the game does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is 100%. This feels like the movie that the guy who did Seven would do next. Yes, yes, very much so. I think it's it is weird that I always forget that Fincher did the game. And I think that's why, in my head, he did Seven, and then a couple of years later, he returned with Fight Club. Um, which, you know, there there is, like you say, there's a kind of almost a through line there for that that makes sense. Uh, and the game feels like a weird experiment that doesn't quite pay off. Um and I think he admits that himself. But we, we covered that anyway. Um, any other little bits of trivia you want to drop in here before I uh, before we put our cards on the table and kind of clear the air as to where we were prior to watching it for this recording? Okay. Uh, yeah, I I don't know that I've got any other other tidbits. Mm-hmm. I'm sure as we talk, there there's a lot of interesting stuff about the shooting of this movie. Um, oh, I've got one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not that we needed one, but you know, I'm always happy when it <laughs> springs to mind. Um, uh, Fincher wanted to cut in images of Tyler Durden, which you see throughout the movie. Yes, he wanted to do that in the opening 20th Century Fox thing. Yes, and, and 20th, 20th Century Fox was like, no, no, <laughs> you, yeah, no, no, you keep it contained in your movie. Our 20th Century Fox logo, you don't fuck with that shit. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's but a. I got yeah, there's a there's a a content DVD. I didn't. I never owned a DVD for this movie. It says uh, that after the copyright warning on the DVD, there was an additional warning that came up um, from Tyler Durden himself, and it's only there for a second. So it's like one of these, you know, spliced in things. It says if you're reading this, then this warning is for you. Every word you read 
of this is useless fine print is another second of your life. Do you have other things to do? Um, if your life is so empty and you honestly can't think of better ways to spend these moments, or are you so impressed with authority that you give respect and credence to all who claim it? Do you read everything you're supposed to read? Do you, I love this. Uh, do you think everything you're supposed to think, uh, buy what you're told to, um, get out of your apartment, meet a member of the opposite sex, stop the excessive shopping and masturbation, quit your job, start a fight, prove you're alive. If you claim your humanity, you will. You if you don't claim your humanity, you will become a statistic. You've been warned, Tyler. So in effect, if you hit pause and read that, you have done exactly what. <laughs> he's told right, you not it's to the do. catch money too. Yeah, you're doing what he accused you of. It's very playful, and I kind of love that. So in, in terms of, um, in terms of us kind of like laying our cards on the table, I saw Fight Club in the cinema. Uh, way, way, way back in the day, it got a ton of controversy in the UK. I think there was about five seconds cut in the movie um, overall. And to be honest, doing a bit of investigation, they've been added in since, and it was mostly fight scenes where there was specific shots in the BBFC and um, the UK were like, no, no, that, you linger over that a bit too long, let's cut that out. Um, but it came with a, a, a kind of, most of the, 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 the hype that I heard about this movie came off the back of how censors were tackling it in America um, and how this was led to believe um, at the time was going to be a, a movie that very much in the grand scale of the video nasties was going to corrupt the youth and make mm. them uh, make them into violent terrorists uh, which was what they believed at the time and or some people I suggest like some people believed that at the time which isn't like tantamount to what they did in the video nasties in the UK where they were like that you know, oh no that the, these these will corrupt children children and they'll go and kill their parents um, you've been warned you've been warned it never happened but um, I I remember seeing it then I loved it like I was what well, I was. I would have been 18 when this movie came out, so <laughs> this was getting me just at that right time, uh, just out of high school and and uh, just starting college. So I remember seeing it, remember being very much about it. I've seen it maybe two or three times since. This is not a movie that I revisit loads. Uh, mostly become, because once you've watched it, you, this movie's predicated on a reveal in a lot of respects in the first viewing anyway, which on subsequent viewings, because you know that, you do look at the movie differently, but I don't think it's it's not like a usual suspects in that you're then scrutinising every single frame of what's been constructed before to try and find a hint. It's all in there. On the second watch, you'll pick out everything. The dialogue, um, the, the way the narrator sets up things, conversations, they all make total sense. In the, in the second view and without necessarily having to reconstruct or reanalyse or recontextualise every single frame. That being said though, I really like this movie. I think it has a particular angsty sort of teenage attitude that I can kind of kind of get behind. Um, it's over the top, it's pulpy for sure and it's pop culture relevant at the time for sure. Um, and, it, it, you know, it marries like violence and anarchism and um you know the soundtrack and you know style and it's all this stuff it's like it's like a giant mtv music video um but kind of converted out into it's like a, like a music video to like a, a punk band that's just been distilled out into a movie 
and I, I enjoy all that. I like the performances as well. Revisiting this time, I was curious to see, because like I say, several years since I watched it, it's about five years since I watched Fight Club. I was curious to see on a critical eye if a lot of it actually did hold up because like I say, the other times I've watched it, it's been for fun, it's never been critically. So that's where I'm coming in. What shocked me when we kind of started talking early in this season was, like I said before, I just assumed that people that like cult cinema like Fight Club. Uh, and I know you like cult cinema, and you very quickly told me you're not a fan. Uh, so let me know what your position was before watching it for this review. Yeah, I did I see this in the theater? I don't. I feel like I did, but I can't say that for sure. Yeah, uh, I could have seen this on on home video initially, but regardless, I saw it very very soon after it came out like like everybody i was a, a fan of seven i was like fuck the, the dude who did seven's doing another movie and it ain't the game mm. um great so i uh I, I went into it with pretty high expectations um and i remember thinking at the time uh when when this came out like i'm i'm about a decade too old for this movie <laughs> And <laughs> and I wasn't old then. I just wasn't in high school. Mm. And uh, your the, the like your pro of it has a high school angsty vibe. Yeah, is the the big negative for me is that I as much as I admired the the craftsmanship of this movie, the at the the time I saw it, the thing that I walked away from is. Um, that feels like a, a two hour and 20 minute disturbed video, <laughs> both, both visually and in terms of theme. <laughs> I mean, better actors, yeah. sure. <laughs> but in terms of like the look of it. That that kind of you know again that kind of angsty nihilism mm -hmm. of of the the nineties, mm -hmm. um, which Seven is chock full of. Like oh, there yeah. is that ethos for sure, but the trappings of it are like a serial killer detective movie, whereas this is much more steeped in kind of pop culture and anti commercialism and that kind of thing. And I and I also ha had at the time a little bit of a knee jerk reaction to be like. I appreciate that David Fincher is making this anti-commercial message, but the guy also cut his teeth on doing the most commercial stuff mm -hmm. ever. Like he was a music video guy. His his whole job was selling artists and he did a great job of that, but let's not mince words, you know? Like like the movie at the time felt like it lacked self-awareness. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and so that was my reaction to it was, was, yeah, I, I understand why everyone loves fight club. Um, but it's the same reason that, you know, I didn't like new metal. <laughs> it wasn't for me. It wasn't my vibe. It's not, it's not my ethos. Uh, I'm not that sad and angry. And I just don't want to live with that. I don't want to be steeped in that. Like, you know, I like punk music, mm. you know, which is much more, you know, uh, and, and I think Fight Club 
maybe it, it has some punk to it. Yeah. But it's got a lot of new metal too. Of course it has. <laughs> of course it had. Like in 1999, and it's aimed at the uh, a market of people. Um, it's aimed at a young adolescent crowd from 1999 when you metal right. was at its peak. So you're yeah. you're not and wrong in that. So I I I'm probably yeah because I was probably uh you know 26 at the time i saw this so not like i said not old yeah but also old enough to be like eh, all right <laughs> yeah i mean this feels like a so like this feels like when i read like lord of the flies in middle school mm -hmm. and you're like did anybody know this book was out there yeah everybody <laughs> you know it's like yeah yeah we all knew that we, <laughs> yes yes it turns out if you leave people alone to their own devices they do horrible shit yeah oh uh, it was all in this book the whole time. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> Someone had the idea before you. <laughs> yeah, right. And so that's kind of how I felt about Fight Club when I watched it the first time. It was like, oh my God, commercialism is bad? Yeah, yeah, it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see this movie? Well, turns out I didn't have to to get that message, but I appreciate it. I'm glad you're, you know, welcome to the party, pal. Mm -hmm. But the delivery method was different for me i suppose <laughs> well now that we've set it up i suppose we might as well get into it we're going to take a short break you are going to hear the trailer for fight club when we return myself and bo ransdell are going to get to it and uh, this time we can talk about the rules because we're doing a review which is great because otherwise this would be a very quick review yeah <laughs> what did you think of fight club the first rule of fight club is i'm not supposed to talk about fight club okay right well that's uh all right, forget the first rule. What's the second rule of Fight Club? <laughs> I'm not supposed to uh, talk about Fight Club. Ah, <laughs> goddammit. Hoisted on my own petard. <laughs> right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back right after this. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Why? How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Wait, let me start earlier. Like many of you, I was stuck. No, you can't die from insomnia. I'd flip through catalogs and wonder what kind of dining set defines me as a person. This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. Welcome. I prayed for a different life. Soap. I make and I sell soap. And this is how I met Tyler Durden. Come on, hit me before I lose my nerve. Oh. Ow! You hit me in the ear! It was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Can I be next? We just gave it a name. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. After Fight Club, we all started seeing things differently. You're gonna have to keep me up all night. And she ruined everything. You're not into her, are you? No, God, not at all. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. He had a plan. <laughs> to what purpose? In Tyler, we trusted. I gotta take Fight Club up a notch. Each one of you has a homework assignment. You're gonna start a fight with a total stranger. That's not necessary. You're gonna lose. That hurt. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I'm stopping this. It's already done, so shut up. What kind of sick game are you playing? Oh my god. In the end, you will thank me. Whoa! Whoa! And welcome back, ladies and gents. So, you've just heard the trailer for Fight Club. This one is based on the novel by Chuck Palin... 
Screenplay done by Jim. You did not do. You did not just do a three amigos right in there. No, no, that was uh, Man with Two Brains. Oh well, it's the same actor anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's fine. A power, power, power. Love it. Love everything that's happening here. Uh, Screenplay is done by Jim Yules. Um, directed by David Fincher Ovs, because that's what we're doing here, guys. Uh, Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, Meatloaf, uh, Zach Grenier, Richard Arquette, David Andrews, George Maguire. Um, oh, shit. Jared Just, Leto. Yeah, Jared. A very young Jared Leto. Very, very young. <laughs> but maybe my favorite moment of this movie. Yeah. It's when his face gets smashed to fuck. Yeah, the, why did you do that? I just wanted to destroy something, something beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, boy, if that ain't the movie in a nutshell. <laughs> Hell of a bow with Carter's in this one. To be honest, there is a ton of bit, bit actors in here. Um, what, is, what is the name of the guy from um, Manhunter who's all uh, up in Holt McCarney? McCarney? Yeah I, yeah, I think yeah. that's right. The, yeah, the guy who plays sort of the seasoned detective from Manhunt. Yeah, he's in it. Like, we've spoken about this before. He's in almost all of David Fincher stuff. He's, yeah. Like, he's in, always in kind of smaller roles, but he's in here, and I had never put that together. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't either in watching this. It was like, holy shit. Yeah. He's, he's all up in this movie. And it's great. Kind of makes sense why Fincher kind of put him in the the role in Manhunter like cause oh, he, like I say absolutely. it's he, like he like he's worked with him so much and he, like I say it's usually in kind of more bit roles and he's he's I kind of love this idea that you've been with this guy for so long and when the TV show comes up and you finally are of the age and of that grizzled look that you can go into that role he, he puts you there and gives you the the probably the highest credit against his name um but yeah there's a, there's a ton of, there's a ton of people in here we are Probably not going to spend a huge amount of time um, talking about some of the lesser characters in here. Maybe Meatloaf, because that's a novelty. Um, but yeah, the the synopsis for this one, as listed on the IMDb's, is a nameless first-person narrator, played by Edward Norton, attends support groups and attempts to subdue his emotional state and relieve his insomniatic state, where he meets... Marla, played by Helena Borman Carter, another fake attendee of support groups. His life seems to become a little more bearable. However, when he associates himself with Tyler, um, played by Brad Pitt, uh, he's dragged into an underground fight club and soap-making scheme. Together, the two men spiral out of control and engage in competitive rivalry for love and power. That is maybe one of the worst synopsis um, I have read on imdb um, starts off strong but by the end of it you're like that doesn't sound like how this movie ends <laughs> he's not dragged into he creates an underground fake club yeah right and, it's it, yeah he and tyler durden all along and there's the rivalry for power and love i don't think so. I, I mean i think the rivalry is about power <laughs> it's about power and control of ones and yeah, yeah, in control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, um, but yeah, not a, not a great synopsis. No, that's by Rhiannon. You've been shamed on this fucking show, Rhiannon. Right, better. Look, um, first of all, <laughs> she can rest on her laurels. She doesn't have to go around making good film synopses. Yeah. She's already been immortalized in a great Fleetwood Mac song. This is true. This is true. And, Fair play. And, and if Stevie Nicks is a fan, then so am I. 
That's how I live my life, Duncan. If Stevie, if Stevie Nick says, I like this thing, I say, that's right. I like it too. Yep. The White Witch likes it. We're all on board. Right? Oh, so, man. You know it, the world does not deserve Stevie Nicks. I know I've said it before. Mm -hmm. Stevie Nicks is way too good for this planet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to argue that, but <laughs> you are right. You are right. Uh, <laughs> So, so yeah, so um, so yeah, like to, to condense this down, we'll, we'll probably go a bit more into the scenes to condense this down into a a, a better Duncan styled synopsis. Uh, that's how bold and bullshit I am. I'm just going to claim that my synopsis is better. Um, Edward Norton plays a insurance investigator who is suffering from insomnia and his kind of dull day to day lifestyle, which involves him buying things for his apartment. Uh, he's yeah. awash with consumerism and meaninglessness in his life. He attends support groups because he finds it really quickly that if he grieves at them, um, it allows him to sleep. So, he, he, and trust me, I can appreciate everything where this man's coming from on the old insomnia thing because when it hits, it, oh, it's horrible. Um, and then he meets Marla, played by Helen Bonham Carter, who's fucking... Like, it, she's... She's that interesting addition to this and probably spend a bit of time talking about her later on um and the you know it kind of shakes his world up again and then he takes a flight and he bumps into this guy tyler durden played by brad pitt who is everything he isn't is like he is bombastic he's kind of anti-materialistic he spouts off rhetoric to get a reaction from people he has these crazy kind of almost conspiratorial theories on on the nature of um society uh you know and he originally just kind of after after norton's flat burns down tragically um he meets for a drink with durden who then kind of they invite each other to live together. It's a weird scene as well. And they have a fight uh, because he really says that you can never really... You, I love that. Say, you, you, ever been in, you ever been punched? No. Um, <laughs> like That's a good thing. No, it's not. Um, and they have a fight and uh, out of this stems the idea for Fight Club, which starts off at first as a as an outlet for, for wayward souls and downtrodden positions in society to, to have a fight and kind of themselves against another man to you know test their mental um and then it spirals as all these things will bo i don't know about you whenever like i started a podcast and now i'm the head of an international terrorist cell <laughs> right it, it happens when you run into somebody on a plane duncan that's yeah. the joy of life is you never know where that's going to take you plane, plane trains and automobiles bo Planes, uh -huh. and automobiles. You either end up blowing up the financial district or you meet a nice family and have Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner with them. It, it's really two sides of the same coin. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so uh, essentially, uh, as things go across, like, uh, as along throughout the movie, um, things start to get very much out of the control of our narrator's hands. Um, right. Realizes he maybe doesn't know brad pitt as well as he thinks he does certainly doesn't know what the fuck project mayhem is yeah and well, ain't nobody telling him no one you don't, first rule of project mayhem is you don't talk about project mayhem but right okay. no 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 you can tell me you told us you would say that <laughs> that's one of my favorite things yeah. right okay right this is an order right i thought like you told us you'd definitely say that <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah 
I'm, I'm afraid we're just gonna have to cut your balls off. Just gonna have to cut your balls off. Um, so yeah, the, the, it starts <laughs> off as like it starts like originally starts off as kind of small vandalism. Uh, it kind of expands out to larger scale vandalism, um, and then eventually ends up in full scale terrorism. Um, and we're kind of following the narrator piece together. Uh, what appears to be a journey he feels like deja vu familiar with but doesn't quite understand what's going on until the ultimate reveal which we will get to later on and then they set up towards the end of the movie which is technically the beginning of the movie because this is one of these hey i bet you're wondering how i ended up here so it starts um so uh there's a there's a pro and a con to that right the pro to that is like if it's done right and you see a, a relatively fucked up situation, your interest is peaked to see how you get there. The con of that is, like, you understand, especially if it's between two people, that when they first meet, seem friendly with each other, you ultimately know it's going to end up with one man's gun in another man's mouth. Um, mm. Which, I mean, there's a bit of that, which, I mean, it works to an extent. I, I, I'm not a big fan of that, drop you in the middle, let's take the journey to the point, if I'm honest. Uh, as a as a trope, um, and that's kind of. Uh, I mean, we'll get into more details about what the terrorist plot is, how it doesn't quite make sense, because um, that's not how. Like, if you blow up the building of American Express, that doesn't mean you don't have debt anymore. That's not how that works. Kind of feel right. like Tyler Durden missed a beat with that. Um, you know, like if he just done a little bit of research, we'd realised that's not how that works. Um, a financial headquarter is not the only place where information about hefty loans are saved. You trying to get caught, Duncan? You can't go around googling. Can I blow up the, the visa building? This is before Google, Will buddy. It, this is before uh, Google. This ain't no Google in 1999. All right, so you can't ask Jeeves, Duncan. <laughs> 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 um, right, so yeah, that's that's the setup, really. I mean, yeah. it's easy, fairly. Believe it or not, like Fight Club, it has a fairly kind of simplistic kind of. Uh, it's got to yeah uh, the structure of it is the 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 first part of it yep. is the the meetings and Marla and meeting Tyler Durden. Yes. Then the next chunk of the movie is living with Tyler Durden and then the end of the movie is Project Mayhem. Yeah, because we're an hour, you get an hour, and, I, I did a bit of timing on it this time around when watching it. You are a whole hour and 20 into this before there is the idea that Fight Club could be something that could be just out with fighting. And that's it. Like, yeah. You only have an hour of the movie left, so all the kind of, like, here's your homework assignments, Project Mayhem, and all that stuff is the last hour of the movie. And even yeah. then, it's like the last 25 minutes in the movie is the realisation that... Well, the big reveal is the la is realistically the last twenty five minutes of the movie, and then you're at the yeah end. the last right. That's your the last act is Tyler Durden now understands who Tyler Durden is. Yes, uh, so and that's that you know that's the and that's your 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 close friend. So as as if a relatively simplistic you know, structure and setup, what the movie this is like a classic example of post Tarantino, the post Tarantino effect in cinema where like everyone speaks just a little bit more intelligent than they should and everyone's just a little bit more aware of the world than they should be and they have the lost lofty statements about everything if it's art they have the, like a very strong opinion on art if it's you know music they have a strong opinion about music um and it's all kind of pity dialogue 
and I, I enjoy that and I, I really enjoyed it this time round because there's a part of me which the juvenile part of me like really gravitates to like I said before stuff that is kind of angsty and kind of against the green even though a lot of it doesn't cut the mustard um, but the, the, the first thing I kind of want to lean into before we get into specific scenes is once again how fucking great is Brad Pitt? I think he is. I yeah. think he's having a ball with this role. I don't think he's necessarily, you know, this is not an Oscar performance by any stretch of the imagination. But there are a few different sides to Tyler Durden that you see in this that I really enjoy. What I enjoy more is I think his comedic timing is great, like absolutely great in this one. There's a, a scene where they hear, um, like Edward Norton's walking past the the bedroom with the orgasm noises. And Brad Pitt shows up in this pair of rubber gloves, um, and it's just a one shot, like without explanation. And I, I like I, the way he's standing and his interaction is just—it's great comic timing, and that's a bit of Fincher for sure. But that's a bit of Pitt. Um, but also, he's for the most part like the dialogue, the way it's delivered. There's a there's a kind of almost there's a self assured smarminess to the Durden character that I really like. He never wavers on anything that he says like yeah. everything is fact and either you are it's kind of the Alex Jones approach to distilling a message you either believe it or if you don't you're a sheeple um, you know what I mean it's like he's so resolute and everything that he's saying is being 100% correct that when you sometimes take a pause on what he's saying some of it does make sense but a lot of it is just it's tawdry nonsense um, yeah Sure. And I think Pitt's really good at that. And also, an actor, I've said this before, I'm not the biggest Edward Norton fan. I think he's a, he's, he's a good actor in some movies. I've seen a lot of things where I'm like that. He's in that um, awful, awful movie with... Is it Al Pacino? It's Al Pacino, isn't it? Where... Oh, it was like a straight-to-VHS movie where he plays a guy going to do... Marlon Brando's in this movie, and you need to check I know it. the movie you're talking about, and I, I can't remember the name of... Right, it's it's three great actors, yep. all of them totally not caring about the movie. No one in. cares about this movie. They still yeah. try to pull a hit off, um, and Marlon Brando plays like a weird godfather sort of... The Heist, maybe? The Heist! That might be it. That might be it. It is so fucking bad. It is yeah. so bad. And like to me, like his performance on it, because he puts on like a, he pretends to be um, a crippled with a star in it, and um, it's just a, a performance where I'm like that. Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> like, I, just, <laughs> I just don't like it at all. Yeah. And he's done a few of those movies in the past, but then he'll do a movie like um, oh, what was that one he did recently where he had a star and he was amazing in it. Is it Motherless Brooklyn? I haven't seen Motherless. Oh, he's fucking you. incredible in that, and he that's, he he uh, directed it. He stars in it. He's got a role. It's, it's fucking great. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, um, I thought it, it, I I want to say he directed this, but that movie where he plays twins, Leaves of Grass. Yes, it's a really low key kind of movie, but it's really good. It's a and he's good giving two performances in it. So yeah, he's yeah he's capable of great acting, but he also is one of those highfalutin actors that if he thinks he's above the material, yeah. he'll let you know with his performance. I think, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which explains the heist. Um, yeah, that right, and, <laughs> and yeah, he thinks he's way better than the script. Uh, but yeah, this is one of those performances where, like you said in the upfront, like he's totally keyed into this mm -hmm. uh fincher clearly has his hands on his hips guiding that thrusting but 
Um, it's all in the hips, baby. It's all in the hips. That's right. You got to coordinate. Um, <laughs> we're mixing two movies, but anyway. Um, well, I guess you're wondering how I got here. Kind of openings. Yeah. Um, I do like when we catch up to that. Mm-hmm. And Edward Norton says, uh, you know, it's when he's got the gun in the mouth. It's how the movie opens. He, you know, Brad Pitt's got his gun in uh, Edward Norton's mouth. And he says, you have any last words? And Edward Norton says something around the gun. He pulls the gun out and he says, I can't think of anything. And at the end of the movie, we see the same scene. But when he pulls the gun out, he says, I can't, I still can't think of anything. Yeah. And Brad Pitt says, huh, flashback humor. Flashback humor. It's it's a really good delivery of kind of a bad joke. Yes. And uh, so to to your point, I think Brad Pitt, his little maniacal laughter. Mm -hmm. The the fight with Lou is actually my favorite Brad Pitt scene. Yes. Because he, you're right, he has that smarminess, that confidence, which of course in in the world of the film, that makes perfect sense, right? He's a guy who makes decisions. He never questions them. He's completely confident in everything he does. Yes. Because the flip side of his personality is completely neurotic and 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 self-obsessed and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that fight scene, he starts, like, you see that raw animal nature of Tyler Durden of, like, I kind of like being hit to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. But also that kind of manic glee he takes in the whole situation and and kind of putting this guy Lou on his heels <laughs> by not giving a shit about getting beat up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's just a wonderful little dynamic, but he also kind of has this crazy Joker laugh. Oh yeah, when he's, he's when he's over the, when he's over the top of him, like like basically vomiting his blood on top of Lou, going, "You don't know where I've been, Lou. You don't yeah. know where I've been." Lou. Like shaking his head to put sweat on him and stuff. You don't know where I've been. Lou's it's like that. Really you, you can have the place. He's like, "I have your word." He's like, "I swear on my mother." <laughs> yeah, it's it, yeah, it's a great it's a great scene, and Brad Pitt is. This is one of those performances that like um you know a seven or something yeah. is like oh he's legit really good yeah there's something uh, there's something there I, I think it's i think we've said it before i think brad pitt's the the, the great uh, example of an actor who i think he made use of his looks to make some scram when he was younger if you know what i yeah. mean he did a lot of movies which were rom-com based and and all that and you know a bit more fun and playful but he's at that age now where he's picking the right roles i mean we've, we've spoken, our love of once upon a time in hollywood cannot be understood yeah. and he's a huge reason behind that he's he's played the redford part yes to perfection of i'm going to be the handsome superstar for a while mm-hmm. and then in my later years everyone's going to respect me because i'm actually doing good work yes and and like giving back to the community and all that stuff like he'd look at robert redford and he was like that that's yeah. what i want to do yeah redford only only just retired like last year or the year before yeah so that's that and that's that's a career that is dauntingly long uh, robert redford is 114 years old <laughs> He did the old man in the gun when he was a hundred and eight. He played the gun. Um, yeah, he was. <laughs> he was both the gun and the old man. That's how good Redford is still. 
Uh, yes, I, I, I really like... It, like the clumps, Duncan. <laughs> Robert Redford is every single character in The Old Man and the Gun. <laughs> Although I don't know if I could watch a scene of Robert Redford going, my little Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> I, I would like to hear Robert Redford say, Mike Douglas is the only white man ever made me moist. <laughs> Is that true? All is lost. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. We're doing that again. We're merging movies. Let's not merge the movies. Hey, all right. So, yeah. Uh, but but yes, Brad Pitt's great in this, and I and I think Duncan the the thing that makes kind of the upfront of this work so well, kind of back to the original point about sort of Edward Norton being really good in this, yeah. is that as much as I find a lot of the ethos of this movie. <laughs> A, a little juvenile mm -hmm. i do think that the front end of this in particular is really really strong with norton kind of or fincher showing us the this this path through norton at his job which is really mundane it's just you know even though the work itself sounds really exciting mm -hmm. um and you see these car crashes and stuff that he's investigating but the whole time it's such uh, like a flat delivery of this is all about numbers. This is all about statistics. This isn't about people. This isn't about the crash or anything like that. It's about a company offsetting potential liability. Mm -hmm. That's the, everything you're seeing here is, is a corporate thing. And we're going to drain all of the excitement and humanity and all that stuff out of it. And so the only humanity that he gets, he, he can't have any in his job. So the humanity that he has is taken from these support groups, which is the rawest form of humanity <laughs> yes. where people are just at the bottom. Yeah. And, and the, the one for me is, I mean, the meatloaf stuff is funny and all that. Is it uh, the woman, the is the woman that wants to get laid? Yeah. Yeah. It's... That is the moment where you're just like, oh shit, this just got real. Yeah. Um, and when she's like, look, I've got lube, I've got whatever you want. If you'll just come fuck me before I die. die. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's one of those things that I wish the movie were more that than some of the other stuff, but mm -hmm. you know, it's a different movie. Um, but that stuff I think works really well. I think, I think everything once Marla enters the picture, mm -hmm. that's kind of the first shaky bits for me. Cause I never feel like Marla, matters as much as she should she's, she's an interesting character she's like a really interesting character because she's clearly broken she's, a, she's the the epitome of the broken character right and um i i, I love helena bowman car i think she's a great actress she does get mm -hmm. typecast as crazy crazy goth lady um i mean let's I, be I, real well, i was gonna she... say i don't think she's far off Crazy, right. crazy goth lady. Um, like surprisingly, like she's from a very rich family as well. Um, and I'm not saying that because she's got a triple barrel name. Uh, so like a double barrel surname. Sorry, she's um, she is from she is from wealth. Um, and a, and a well-to-do family from the UK. And for a wee while there, like the the stories about her weird relationship with Tim Burton, where they basically owned two town like adjoining townhouses in in London, and they both stayed in, you know, they had a connecting door, but they stayed in their own houses, uh, which was only one of those. 
Hmm? <laughs> that sounds perfect. I know, but I know you. Well, you get enough money, you can do that. Though this is my wife's house. This is my house, uh, and this is the door that connects the two. Um, it's all very. I'm sure that's the. I think in the UK, our uh, number ten Downing Street is where the Prime Minister lives, but number eleven Downing Street is where the Chancellor lives. Two most like important jobs in government, and there are connecting doors to those properties as well. So, um, although you'd have so, to live right beside your boss. Which, uh, yeah, that, like that. that sucks. And also, Helena Bottom Carter had the same problem with Tim Burton. Yeah, you know, because he he had her in a bunch of his movies as well. Yeah, uh, kind of uh, doing the same, like, like being creepy goth girl. Yeah, but she, like she's like her character is is kind of introduced as a bit of a kind of emotional vampire. Like she she only can feel something off the pain of others or from the the misery of others to an extent. Um. Well, and the, it's never, the, the, it's never pro- rounded out beyond that, though. That's the thing. I think that's the issue yeah. here. Is like it is as two dimensional as that. At the end of this movie, we have no more depth to that character than we did when we meet her the first time smoking a cigarette in a support group. And I understand that you kind of have to dance around that because of the nature of the movie. Yes, and the fact that she's having this relationship with with Tyler Durden and the narrator. Yes. So it's hard to get too deep into that character because as soon as you do, it starts unraveling. Well, they expressly say, like Durden expressly says to to the narrator in this movie, you do not talk to me about, you know, you don't talk about the relationship or me about me to her at all. And right. that's a, like a blanket statement that's made there. And that gets them out of a lot of that throughout the movie. Questions where you'd be like, this doesn't feel like a, a natural conversation. There is... There is that I, you know, there is that idea of a uh, listen. I just don't want you involved with that, so that just doesn't get mentioned at all. So you can be as crass and mean to her, uh, you know, as you are going to be in this movie. And from an audience perspective, and from a narrator's perspective, the connection isn't made there. That being said, though, once that wall is broken down, I mean, like when she says, like when she's being put on the bus, and she says, "You're the worst thing that's ever happened to me." Um, I just don't know. <laughs> You know, like, really? You faked terminal cancer and a lot of different girls. Well, <laughs> and, and also the way she says it is that kind of a compliment. Yes. And, and, yes, and, yeah, and I wish that, well, yeah. yeah, I wish the character had more depth. Yeah. And I think it's one of the big problems of this movie is that at the end of the movie, the big payoff is Edward Norton holding hands with Marla. Yep. And being like, okay, you know, like he has the, the, I think it's a very funny line about like, you met me at a really weird time in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't do enough to explain why it's essential for her to be there. Yes. Yeah. I think you're right. And and I think that's one of the, the problems that I ultimately have with the film as a whole is that when it, it reaches its conclusion, it's not quite the game level of messiness, yeah. But there's a lot of like loose threads and like, well, what about and what you know? Yeah. And I don't mean logistics. I'm not. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I just mean like, well, how are we wrapping this up thematically? Like, what is what is Fincher really trying to say about this? Yeah, well, and, it's, and, also, it's also a weird place to end the movie. It's a, a sensible yeah. place to end the movie, but it's also a weird place to end the movie because who is the narrator now? Right, I right exactly. Like, is he whole now, and he's all of these things, or yeah? There's a, anyway. We'll get to the end, <laughs> but 
but so the but the front end of that like up to the point where he meets marla i think is kind of great i think once he meets marla i think that's an interesting relationship that is immediately overturned because as soon as he gets on that plane yeah and is talking about his you know uh uh single serving friends on planes and all that stuff mm -hmm. as soon as he meets brad pitt's tyler durden the movie just becomes him because yeah. he's so good he's so charismatic for all the reasons you described right like his character is supposed to be this bold audacious uh like unflinchingly charismatic and confident guy mm -hmm. and when you have that guy in your movie that's all you want to see of is this is. guy yeah of course it is and and Fincher gives it to you like he's no dummy, but it it loses Marla in the process. Like yeah. she pops up here and there, but I don't think she's ever. It's mostly making morning noises. Um. <laughs> right, like I mean, honestly, the rest of the movie, her role is, hey, she's suicidal. Then Brad Pitt fucks her, and then Ed Norton is kind of pissed off that Brad Pitt's fucking her for the rest of the movie. Yeah, and a... that's it till the third act. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a scene where they have a, a kind of trying to have an honest interaction in the kitchen, and um, he basically says to her, "What do you get out of this?" And she's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, what, what are you getting out of this? You you're leeching on to like a stronger person," um, and then she says the same thing to him. You know about well, you know I could say the same thing about you, and the assumption is at that point that she's talking about him leeching off. Um, the Durden character, you know, he's a stronger personality. So you're just, you're basically, you're validating your life through him to an extent. And obviously we know at the end of the movie that's not the case, but it's an interesting line, which I, once again, I would like a bit more of that kind of delved into because I, I, I'm with you. I feel like, like even the narrator himself and rightly so gets a bit infatuated by like Durden, you see him do all these things that are pushing the narrator out of his comfort zone, and some of them get to the point where that they're so heavily pushed out the realms of what would be deemed as being acceptable, uh, and their relationship. Yet he always ends up back with them, and it's just never really, it's never really addressed without with a you know um, he would do these things, but he was always proved right. And I'm just like, well, I mean, I get that, but. I would like a little bit more, a little bit more substance. Um, the whole, the whole kind of concept of, of the Fight Club thing, as juvenile as it is, I think is an interesting concept because mm -hmm. there are people out there that, that, <laughs> there are keyboard warriors out there, Bo, that I know for a fact if they just got a good slap in the puss, um, might be <laughs> might be reluctant about writing the nasty shit they write about people and i think there is yeah. a there's a kind of old-fashioned concept i'm gonna say that i'm also glad that we've removed ourselves from that old-fashioned concept because i think civility and the ability to actually talk to someone in a dialogue any meaningful dialogue uh, can be more impactful than a punch in the face. Um, that's just the world I live in. And yes, I've been in fights before, and I still believe yeah. that. I, I I have too, and I actually don't think the notion of you don't really know who you are until you've been in a fight. Yeah. I don't I don't think that is necessarily true. Yeah. But I think being in an extreme situation, yeah, Test does your, show yeah. you things about 
about your personality that maybe you didn't suspect. Yeah. And I stress and, test and, him. I think they talk yeah. about the like the panic room situation, not panic room, uh, escape room situation that if you get a group of people and put them in, even for fun, if you put them in an escape room situation, people's personalities, like there's an alpha that'll take charge almost straight away. Um, you know, someone in the group will try and organise people in there. Some people will be very quiet, but they're already three steps ahead, and maybe they're a bit shy, so they don't tell people. As soon as as soon as they've worked out, they play into that, or like everyone assumes a role um, within the, in the group. And I think stress testing that does give a degree of what your your mental actually is. Um, and in this in this particular scenario. That's the like everyone that they're aiming the fight club towards, or the people that are gravitated towards the fight club at the beginning, are mostly service level jobs. Uh, eventually, it spans out further, but it's mostly service level jobs. It's when the with the scene with the the mayor or the police chief or whoever, uh, you know, and we with the people that serve you food, with the people that drive your ambulances, collect your rubbish. Um, you know, they they go through, he goes through a list of this, and that's kind of this. They're you know. Is that the idea of uh, like industry and wealth being built on the backs of, of broken people having to do jobs that they're not appreciated for doing? Um, which, right. Once again, uh, uh, what I, we would call essential workers now, you know, that yeah, it's exactly it, you know, interesting. How that a happened. timely <laughs> element. Yeah. Yeah. Like interesting how like the, the stress test of that scenario was a global pandemic. So, you know what I mean? That's, the, that's where your stress test comes in. You see the, 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 the nature of where people are, you know, are structured within the organization, the business or the world. Um, so there's an aspect in that as well, which originally is the part of this where the movie, and I will say this, I still really, really, really like fight club. I'm kind of putting my cards down here. Um, warts and all. And I think I have to put that caveat there because from a critical point of view, there is a huge jump, that this movie makes, and I feel that when it makes that huge jump, you either go with it or, you know, it kind of undoes some of the work that the movie spent a bit of time crafting. And it's mostly the Project Mayhem stuff, um, because that seems to escalate really quickly in no sensible manner. Like, if the idea of the narrator being less involved for... Uh, the kind of dirt, and we might as well just get. Uh, we're beating around the bush here, and for no reason at all. The reveal in this movie, like <laughs> yeah. I'd like, I'd, I'd feel like we're <laughs> linguistic t- chess. Here wink, wink. <laughs> you know, for those of you who are listening to this and haven't seen Fight Club, yeah, this is a spoiler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, for- for this, you know, twenty-year-old movie yeah. that also is incredibly famous for this turn. Yes. Um, so, so let me just say right now, the big twist in Fight Club is Bruce Willis was a ghost. Um, yeah, right, the whole time, Duncan. <laughs> the whole time. The whole time. And and when you go back and watch it again, you're like, that's right. Nobody else ever talked to. Him. Same year as Six Sense. This is it really? Yeah, yeah nineteen ninety nine. So oh, it was a year for twists. It was a year um, for twists, and uh, two years after that, the internet would have been awash with things because we were starting. In fact, no, three years. I think three years after this is when MySpace was getting patented. So, and Twitter would have been not far away and whatnot. So, yeah, we were still in an innocent age where we had the internet, but you'd have to go and physically try and find the answer. It was um, all on bulletin boards and yeah. stuff, and yeah, 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 that's oh boy, those were the days. Yeah, so you just pine for them, uh, I can tell. I, I, I do, man. And the days before social media, Jesus Christ, Duncan. Simpler, oh. simpler time where you could yeah. actually just speak to people without yeah. hating your family. 
Yeah, and if you had some shit to say, you put it on a bulletin board, and a moderator would come along and block it. And, yep. And that was it. And that was it. That was all that ever happened. Like, and most of the time, it was just a bunch of nerds all getting together to argue about who who had the best Jean Grey costume. You know, it was it was a simpler, better time. Yeah. This is why Gambit will never be in a movie. Um, right. Like, oh, did you hear that? Guess who's got? Oh my God! You're never Anna Paquin is gonna be Rogue. Mm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, Simpler time, but like the, the um, yeah, <laughs> but, like, but, yeah. But but of that time though, there. I mean, there is that new wash of kind of technology and stuff that that I think a lot of the '90s was about that. Yeah. Well, the '90s. Yeah. I've said this before. The '90s, in general, is a weird decade for art. Like, mm. cinema is strange. Music is strange. Fashion, definitely fucking strange. Um, and it's, <laughs> yeah, like, it's a weird, it's a kind of weird melting point. So, like, at times, a lot of the content that comes out in the 90s is surprisingly nihilistic. Um, like, and I don't know, like, it's, it it does not surprise me that when, like, when um, they started doing, uh, like, ads for things like Y2K, and stuff that people totally believed the world was coming to an end because yeah. like the nineties in a whole was just it was it was bad, dude. <laughs> not not for like I'm not saying bad as in the content that came out. It's just the messaging, the brand um, that is the nineties was not exactly full of optimism and and positivity. It, it, it has a lot of these, and the the art reflects that. It's like a giant magnifying glass for sure. And I feel yeah. I feel that Fight Club is this is how you close out your decade is with movies like this. <laughs> so. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it it definitely it, it's weird because the nineties were kind like economically a prosperous time, oh, yeah. Yeah, and and, and like it was you know in terms of global peace and so forth it was pretty good mm-hmm. but out of that came this sense of of nihilism yeah that that seemed to uh like you said it just seemed to infect all of art um uh, you know music and film especially yeah and i think once you get into this kind of Tyler Durden Fight Club stuff. Mm-hmm. That is where the movie sort of shows its truest stripes, I think. Mm-hmm. And and for good and bad, at least for me as a viewer, because on the one hand, I like the fact that the movie is, I mean, it is examining commercialism, but I think that that kind of messaging gets lost pretty quickly yeah. under the idea of these are just dudes trying to figure out how to be dudes in a new world. Yeah. You know, like in a world where you put on a tie and you go to the office and you you buy your furniture out of the catalog and maybe you meet a nice girl and maybe you settle down and that kind of you know white collar existence always brings with it it, it like there's a sense of 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 imprisonment that mm-hmm. comes with those ideas as you're getting older and you're like oh i actually have to do what other people do and get a job and pay taxes and start worrying about mortgages and stuff like that um and i think a lot of that nihilism is is 
part of that. It's it's this idea. I like I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be like my dad. I'm gonna be something different. Oh shit! I turned out to be exactly like yeah. My there's dad. A, Fuck, a, a weird you know? kind of societal claustrophobia that yes comes out of feeling like when you when you are a teenager and like when you go to school, school teaches you you know how on some level how to navigate life. It doesn't do it really well, but it teaches you on some level how to navigate a bit of life and you come out especially if you go to like a college or a university so you don't start directly into a trade it's a lot of idealism that is kind of fed to you it's what you what you essentially consume um and then the idea of well you know my, you know i can i can go off and create something i can be something um is kind of then very harshly juxtaposed against well no my life's pretty much mapped out for me like from the right. moment from the moment you're born, your life is pretty much mapped out for you. You're gonna to go to school till this age roughly, and then you have options of higher education if you want to take that on, whether it's college or university, or you can learn a trade. But all those avenues most likely will lead to a job, which you need if you want to have a place of your own, and then you want to live with someone in your place of your own because like society says you should have a family of some some description. So you end up getting a family, you're probably gonna end up having kids or something like to pass that on um, your your biological prerogative on the planet to pass that on and then oh by the way by the time then you're going to have to work more because you've now got more mouths to feed and then by the time you get through that you'll retire but by the time you retire your best years are actually behind you and right. the, you know uh, hopefully you've saved up money in between feeding all those mouths because if you don't your pension isn't actually all that great and hopefully you paid off that mortgage because if you didn't that mortgage payment's going to be due and if you can't can't do that then you have to go and live in a home where your family is is this very depressing kind of map of what what life actually looks like and what's interesting about the Durden character is he feels that this is it's artificial and it's imposed on you and there are weaknesses structural weaknesses in the system that if you just chip at them um, the system comes down. Uh, you target specifically on the financial sector and credit cards because that's we're coming off the 80s uh, where everyone was buying everything. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, this is and, how you define right. your happiness is by the materials you own, as opposed and, to what you value your life as. And I think even within, and, and I like, I think all of that is absolutely right. And within that rigid structure, there's even the deeper question of, of what is masculinity at that level. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and then that's why you have a fight club. It is just, I, I just, I have this like testosterone fueled need to fucking hit something or fuck it and the world that i live in is not inclined to let me do either of those things without repercussion mm -hmm. and so that's what fight club allows is is it allows you to, to just this impotent rage that you feel it allows you to to sort of exorcise it from you and they say early on like this isn't about winning this is not about losing this is just a you know for tyler durden it's about illumination yeah and there's part of that i suppose but i think you know at a deeper level it's also just about these kind of primal needs that you know tyler durden expresses it's fighting and fucking you know for the first two-thirds of this movie yeah there's also and, like a weird kind of, I mean, they ultimately do become, there's a something, there's very kind of, there's a post-Waco thing here as well, I think, which is quite interesting to examine, the idea of the charismatic cult leader, 
Um, and people, sure, like because yeah. by the end of this, like Project Mayhem and those involved with Project Mayhem are essentially a, a cult. Uh, like essentially under the and it's like it's designed as a cult as soon as they move into the house they are not fed exactly well <laughs> they're you know they all have to shave their heads they're all doing jobs to basically benefit the the you know the group the only guy that appears to be fucking is tyler uh, tyler durden so yeah. that's kind of there's no women in there there's no women in the cult at all um well, you know what I mean? I, it's it's kind of pushed in a way where I think even even the way like Brad Pitt starts to look in this like in this movie as we go along, where he's not he's two seconds away from the well, he does have the aviator, so he's not that far off Jim Jones uh, with the kind of aviator glasses. Is a specific stylistic choice, which yes, is kind of nineties, but there's idea the idea of him as this leader um, that people gravitate towards, who has this skewed view of the world to an extent that people accept um, blindly. Like even the entrance into the camp follows uh, what, what you would see as practices um, through other organisations or religions as being a rite of passage to come in. You know, yeah, like three days yeah, leaving outside. the guy on yeah. the porch. Yeah. It's, it's, it becomes like a kind of cult. I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily what uh, Chuck Palahniuk was going for, or certainly what David Fincher wants to imbue in his movie, but there is an element of that which I think is kind of interesting. Once again, had they gone down, well, there's a line in the movie about how it was the people who were kind of disenfranchised yeah. and and so forth that were drawn to Tyler. And it's again one of those threads in the movie that I'm like, I wish this paid off a little bit better. Yeah. Because it's such an interesting idea that, you know, it, it, it goes along with the ideas of commercialism that I think are kind of lost as well, which is, you know, there is a, a level of society that is built on the backs of the people that are actually running it. And the people who are actually doing the running are starting to revolt. And yeah. I, I there's a great you know kind of anarchic anti-corporate message to that and and that scene with the uh the police chief or whoever i think is probably the best example <laughs> yeah. of it but then it kind of goes away yes and it's again one of those recurring problems with the movie is like but oh, wait a minute I, I really like that yeah oh okay we we gotta we gotta run around and and have this 20 minute reveal that yes you're tyler durden yeah okay i get it um anyway uh but i do think that the a lot of the stuff that we're talking about like the one of the good things about fight club is it is thematically dense even though it doesn't always pay off those themes yeah to my satisfaction yeah it's, but, taken, it's taken it's taken a big bite out yes. of like a out, out of messaging from several different kind of corners and trying to it's incorporating them or at least it's putting the idea out there whether or not like you say it's fully then um kind of examined or a conclusion is even drawn yeah, but so as as we're going through this, you know, the Fight Club is getting bigger and bigger. And oh, by it, the way, we still haven't given the reveal. <laughs> oh shit! Did we, we not? Should, no, <laughs> we went on a massive tangent, which I love. Uh, All right. The reveal in this movie is that the narrator is Tyler Durden, and Tyler right. Tyler Durden is the narrator. Um, and that's and why they're the opposite. I love. There's a bit in here where he says like that. Um, so it's something like. Uh, like I made you up, and he's like, "Well, like, yeah, no shit, you made me. I didn't, I didn't like make up a like a 
like a, a nervous narcissist thing, you know, like I, I didn't yeah. invent that personality, so of course I'm like the invented person that you made up, I'm all the good things that you wanted to be that you were, like, I get, it's just like a, a bit of throwaway dialogue where he's questioning reality altogether, he's like, no, 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 I would be the personality you make up, not not the other way around. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I'm it's not, not how fantasies work. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to, I, I didn't have secret fantasies about being neur- neurotic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I you know, the thing that's fun about watching this again is that the movie does a really playful fun job of hiding that Tyler Durden, the Brad Pitt Tyler Durden yeah. is not real. Um my personal favorite is that in the early Project Mayhem days as Edward Norton and Brad Pitt are out in a neighborhood just smashing car mm-hmm. uh headlights I get just being anarchic for the sake of being anarchic, which I kind of like. Um, when Edward Norton, uh, they're, they're, as they're smashing headlights, Brad Pitt smashes one, and then Ed Norton smashes the same one, and then the car alarm goes off. Yes. And it's a nice little, like, oh, right, he didn't, he's not real got it yeah. and there's a lot of that like there's in the loads of it like the second viewing yeah. like i say i don't think you need to do like three viewings on this movie on the second viewing is completely evident it's everywhere yeah it's e- all everywhere the in the movie yeah yeah it's it's well done and even the marla stuff where she's like wait a second what did you say did you yeah. say us yeah and and you and again depending on which viewing you're watching you may think oh she's talking about her and him mm-hmm. but she's actually asking like are you talking about you and tyler durden as two different people are you fucking crazy um <laughs> yeah. uh, which is the reason that her character gets such short shrift is yeah. because the, the whole movie would be her being like wait a second what did you say yeah <laughs> you're you're bananas i'm crazy but you're <laughs> um but yeah so uh, so that's the big reveal. But as as they're doing this Fight Club thing, as Tyler Durden as as the two separate people are kind of building this Fight Club out into uh, like a larger group of people, it's again, it's all it's all dudes who just want to get together and beat the shit out of each other yeah. to kind of express that you know the rage they feel at the mundane and all that stuff. Impotent rage, bull. Yeah. You know, lives of quiet desperation, mm-hmm. uh, as, as Whitman said. And, uh, you know, I, I it, it's something that I think we can all relate to to some degree because that's, you know, as we said, it's true of all of us. We, uh, we all, you know, as unique as we all are, we all kind of live remarkably similar lives. Yes. Um, so uh, when it takes the turn into the project mayhem stuff i i think that's where again one of my larger problems with the movie crops up because i agree with you i feel like the escalation isn't explained well enough it really isn't it really isn't like because we get we get a glimpse of like the early failure of project mayhem is the death of bob as a character and it's the the homework was uh, destroy a piece of art which well, so it's vandalize a piece of art and destroy a major corporate franchise of some description. And I kind of feel like vandalizing a piece of art is 
kind of almost, I don't know, it feels like weird that Fight Club would be addressing that, where it's really, you know what I mean, like as a, all the stuff that Tyler Durden's talking about isn't necessarily about artistic pursuits, it's about capitalistic pursuits, so it's, it's a weird thing to do, but anyway, they're going to deface this bit yeah. of art, um, the, the plant needs, it's the most elaborate <laughs> And I remember, like, I remember, like, seeing this scene in the cinema, going, "This is cool as fuck." Um, this time round, I was like, mm. um, "Although it's very well shot, and there's a lot of really clever computer technology used here, uh, which Fincher has always been quite smart about using." Um, so they they set these charges around this giant sculptured ball, which sits atop of a kind of mini fountain, and. It explodes, the ball rolls down through into a shopping mall and destroys a corporate coffee chain, and then. You know, the police officer who clearly sees them running away in ski masks because I love like Norton's like uh, line on this is kind of like right on the right on the point. And Bob, played by Meatloaf, who we'll get to in a second because I know a lot of people love the old uh, Bob character. I I don't think he necessarily adds anything to this movie at all. I think from an acting perspective, he's one of the weaker links in the movie, but. I'll swing around to that in a wee second. Anyway, um, he, he gets shot, and then you have that conversation about, well, in Project Mayhem, we have no names. Once again, kind of linking to the cult thing again. Uh, or maybe even to the army. There's so many things it could be, and I kind of like yeah. that, but at the same time, there's a part of me where in the movie, I'm like, that right, we'll stop bringing it in. <laughs> like, like, right. No, his name is Bob Paulson. They're like, that's right. Yeah. In death, we have a name. <laughs> his name You're is like, oh, God damn it, no. Well, isn't it like every time he thinks he's getting through to them, it gets changed into a mantra that he can't control. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, when he's in the car, I'll jump on all the place, but when they're in the car, um, after he's knocked seven shades of shit out of um, a, a Jared Leto's character, and they're driving, and they're driving along, and, you know, they had the big argument in there, and uh, he's like, why didn't you include me in this? And then they're sitting back going, the first rule of project here, and he's like, okay, I get it, right? The first rule like, we yeah. just, Shut the fuck up, back there. Just try to talk about. We do not talk about Project. It's like all the way throughout this movie, he constantly the frustration, and this is where I think like Edward Norton's a great actor because I feel that frustration in his face. Because as the audience, you're like, every time you stop this, we don't get an answer. So stop. So there's a bit of humour in there, but there's also frustration from an audience perspective, which I think is handled very well through the narrator. Um, but like the, the the escalation to that point, like prior to that, the are you know some people have moved into the house and they vandalised the state building, right? And then we jump to dead body, pretty much, um, and you know his breakdown of well, yeah, you've just set bombs and you're running around in ski masks. What did you think was going to happen, idiots? You know, of course the police are going to fucking shoot you. But we jump into that pretty quick. And then, like I say, that's at the, about the... That's coming up about an hour and three quarters into the movie. So you're 45 minutes left from that point. It just feels like we... I understand the story is supposed to be that it's spiralling out because Tyler Durden has his master plan. But all that stuff happens at breakneck speed compared to the character development we get in the first hour, which feels very well paced. It's very well set up, it's methodical in its approach. We get a lot of Edward Norton's backstories, insomnia, the support groups, Marla, like we mentioned before, even them meeting Durden and doing the initial part of Fight Club, you know, I am Jack's angry spleen, uh, and all that mm -hmm. stuff. It's really, 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 like, 
the script is really good that way and I like how it's paced out but the last 45 minutes of this movie where you know we now have death in the, the crew and there's something bigger than what I thought I was involved with and who is this Tyler Durden anyway and why is Marla acting all strange all that stuff feels like we sprint like towards the end at a breakneck speed uh, by the time we get to the end I'm like that's the bit to me in the, the whole movie that's the bit to me where I'm like if I pause and think about this it's probably why it's paced so quickly if I pause and think about anything that's happening for like two seconds it all unravels um, and I think right. there's a conscious decision from Fincher he knows that himself he's playing with a reveal which is you know it's either going to make or break his movie to audience members because I like the end I like the reveal I think the reveal's merited and, and cool and there's plenty there's plenty in the run up to it that works I know a lot of people that do not like Fight Club because of the reveal they just don't yeah, get it that's... they just don't get it they don't understand that and I've explained that and they still don't understand because as soon as you explain it well explain how he's there watching him I'm like well they say that like sometimes he is him sometimes he is watching him and we get it from his perspective, but it's really still the actions that are being carried out are still Edward Norton. He's just visualizing himself out. He's but why doesn't make sense? Well, of course it doesn't. It's a film. <laughs> like, of course it doesn't right. make sense. <laughs> no, what does this? But that's the point. It's like there's a, and I think Fincher is very aware of that. I mean, for a seventy million dollar movie, you're. He must have known on some level this review. I can't imagine when he made this movie, it was going to be a huge success at the box office I just feel it's so it's pulpy for sure and pop culture referenced laden and all the rest and it does have Brad Pitt in it and Brad Pitt was pretty fucking huge in 1999 but I also kind of feel like it's playing with a subject matter it's got a certification which makes it hyper violent it's only going to pull in a set demographic and some of that demographic is going to love it and it's ending but some of it is not so you're almost you're like at every level you're marginalizing people that would check this movie out, and then you get right. to your core crowd that will either like your reveal or don't. So you've got a, like a maybe fifty fifty chance that off that marginalized group that half of that crowd are are going to enjoy your ending. So you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's you're such... just getting down to the cast and crew of the movie. <laughs> well, there was a great there's a great um I'm doing a bit of research for this is a great uh video of. Interviews with uh, Brad Pitt and David Fincher. You find it on YouTube talking about Fight Club, and um, they're talking about where they screened. I want to say it's the Venice Film Festival. They took over to screen it, and um, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton are sitting together, and Fincher sitting on the other side, and the festival director sitting between them. And um, the festival director clearly hadn't seen the movie. And within the first couple of minutes, they said they're turning around and the director's got his hand up at his eyebrows, scratching as if, oh no, what's this? Uh, and what they were saying is every time something funny would happen in the movie, they would start like big obnoxious American laughs, as they call it. And this guy's just not having anything. And it's the I think it's the grad school line, interestingly enough, that we mentioned earlier on. They said the director got up and walked out. <laughs> the nice. Just walked out. Like, just like, nah, I've had enough. Um, which made them laugh even more. And Fight Club is a funny movie. It has a, it yeah. has a, a, a dark sense of humour at times, but it's a very funny movie. But I also think what they were saying is the average age of the people in festival attendance for this at the Venice Film Festival was 60+. plus. And I just can't imagine in 1990 if you're in your 60s, Fight Club is a movie you want to go and see, or that's your market. Right, that is not the crowd for this movie. The, the crowd for this movie is 
you know, 19 years old and, and a young white male from preferably North America. Yeah, Fight but, Club. Fight Club is to me what Natural Born Killers was to the generation that saw that movie when that came out. Right. Yeah. I, like that. Yes, that is a movie I very clearly remember uh, seeing in the. Have I told you the story of seeing that in the theater? No. <laughs> All right. So I saw uh, with actually with my uh, Pick Six Movies companion Chad. Chad and I saw that in the theater, mm-hmm. and. Um, while it was it was chad and i it was a matinee if memory serves and so it was just us and then like two or three other little pockets of people and then about two rows behind us are are two older women <laughs> and and by older i mean like late 50s early 60s oh, dear. <laughs> and uh about uh, a third of the way through the movie one of the ladies gets up g- walks out comes back a couple of minutes later uh and with like some something from the concession stand mm-hmm. but i hear her tell her her friend that she came with she uh she says you know i told i i told the boy at that concession stand that this was the most the worst movie i ever saw in my life and he said he knowed it <laughs> it's one of my favorite he knowed it that was Mwah. chef's kiss that is that is tennessee to uh to a t uh oh an old woman saying that natural born killers mm. worst thing she ever saw and 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 the guy at the concession stand saying he noted he knew um yeah so but i i agree with that that it is it is that kind of like capturing the zeitgeist yeah. of of uh, a particular place and time, and I think Fight Club is is great about that. Mm. Um, yeah, it does feel like a weird snapshot. And I guess like to get to the end of this movie, that like like you said, the last forty five is him just trying to figure out who Tyler Durden is. Oopsies, it's me. Yeah, and, and that then, reveal comes like twenty minutes before the end of the movie. And it right. really is like him trying to reconcile with Marla and stop the work out what the plan is and stop the plan in twenty minutes. So it, it so quickly tries to resolve everything at the end. Right, and and this kind of culminates in the opening of the movie again, <laughs> which is him confronting himself by putting a gun in his own mouth, mm-hmm. and and there was a whole conversation about like Project Mayhem and you know the the fact that they're the same person and all that stuff and then um edward norton to exorcise himself of tyler durden shoots himself in the head but he just shoots himself through the jaw yes and that kills effectively kills the tyler durden persona because i think he imagines he shot him through the head yes and then marla shows up with (laughs) marla's being kidnapped Right, the, the, like all of the uh, the goons from uh, the the Tyler Durden Project Mayhem scenario show up, and they're like, "Hey, you wanted her here, here for the end of the movie?" Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, thank you." <laughs> but there's also like a <laughs> there's a there's that like a, a kind of cheated moment where like everyone arrives from Project Mayhem, and they're all got like bags of beer and stuff to see the end of these financial institutes, and as soon as they arrive, like Edward Norton tells them to fuck off. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Get out of here. Leave Marlin. Get out of here. <laughs> so none of them, like, feasibly they go to another room to see it, but I love this idea of them all being like, yeah, we're going to see all these buildings destroyed and they're told to go to another room and by the time they come through, all the buildings are gone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, we missed it. Did we, where did all those buildings go? They exploded? <laughs> yeah. And it was awesome? Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah, I got the Cheetos. <laughs> got the Cheetos. <laughs> I mean, I guess the... the they were already we open. <laughs> right. I had a couple on the way here. Um, yeah, and and then he watches uh, all these financial buildings, because that's a whole idea that we mentioned earlier, which is Doesn't you blow sense, up all these financial institution headquarters and everybody's debt is erased. And yeah, then, everyone goes back to zero, um, yeah. which I don't know, that's not how it works. Uh, but right, once again, not... in the confines of the movie, right, cool, whatever. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, right, we'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll whatever, bring... whatever we got to do to get through this. Yeah, we'll just put on that. And then might be the first use of um, of this particular Pixie song, uh, Where Is Your Mind? Um, I, I think, think it's a great song. It's a great song, but I think this might be the first use of it in a movie, and it is now every movie. <laughs> every movie post-Fight Club has this. Uh, like, fucking... Yeah. But whenever there's, like, some sort of reveal, people are like, give me the Fight Club scene at the end of this movie. Um, you know what? I Believe it or not, I actually had uh, that exact thing said to me when discussing a, a script that was never produced or really? anything. Really? Yes. I, I mean, and this was four years ago, five mm -hmm. years ago, that uh, a, a potential producer said, here is the Fight Club ending I want. Yeah. Now work the work your way back. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know how you do that. I, like, <laughs> it was such a crazy ending. He was like, here's how I want it to start. Here's how I want it to end. I was like, I don't. I don't know how you do that and, and have it make sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, so that's a real thing. But yeah, it, it is this big Fight Club ending uh, where the Pixies play and all these buildings explode and Marla and, you know, who we now know as Tyler Durden yeah, hold hands name, and yeah. watch it all go. Um, and yeah, and that that is their endeth Fight Club yeah. as some more... Dun -dun 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 you yeah, know, yeah. plays, and we get some <laughs> get get some late nineties credits. Um, yeah, I mean, like it's like I said before. I think when you watch it through a second time, it's 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 it holds up really, really, really well. It doesn't not hold up beyond those viewings, but like I say, you're not gonna you're not gonna pull out much more on the third viewing, to be honest. And it is it's full of references. There are whole conversations that through that lens made sense on the first watching on the second view and it's like oh that totally right it's because he's you whether it's the conversation with the the uh, the police officer who's investigating the fire which comes back every now and again in this yeah, movie yeah. and you know like Durden's in the background just saying just tell him you blew up your just tell him you blew up your apartment tell him you started the fire um like those sort of, you know, like, like when he's talking about, like when he beats himself up in his in his uh, boss's office, and he says, mm -hmm. you know, like, I, like, you know, doing this, it made me uh, weirdly think about the first time me and Tyler Durden had a fight because it was just yep. him kicking his. Own. So all these things are peppered through. You even mentioned about how they splice in very early on in the movie. He's walking through an airport, and there's a kind of spliced, like 
glimpse just for a tiny second of the Durden character, um, which is, you know, it just happens in there. I think he's actually in maybe one or two other scenes where he's like in the background. So it's, it's there, it's all laid out. And then the second view, and I think you, you, you get a lot of... So it's very... Once again, this is Fincher flexing his incredible creative juices and ability to construct a story, um, which works like it takes a, something on a certain level, but elevates it for sure. Now, whether or not that elevation fully pans out throughout the movie, I would argue that there are, there are weaknesses in Fight Club for sure. But overall, even watching it this time, which I, I reckon is maybe about the fifth time, maybe the sixth time, I've ever seen this movie. I finished it. I still really enjoyed it. And I, I know some of that is linked to nostalgia. I think if you showed like a 16-year-old or 17-year-old Fight Club now, I don't know it has the same impact. Just that... I, they'd laugh you out of the room. Yeah, pop culture just... is just completely different now. Um, you know, it's just a different world entirely. So there is a part of that that is that weird time capsule bubble uh, for, for very late... 90s very early 2000s that the movie occupies and I think it's these sort of things are a great milestone for where like cinemas in general but these are great milestones as to what's going on in the culture or what are the conversations that the next generation are having you know the next generation of people that'll go into business or like there's 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 parts of that that are really well defined in this movie there are other parts that just feel a bit kind of sloppy and it does suffer from some elements that the game suffers from in that it has an ending <laughs> like that if you spend any more than one second really starting to scrutinize it kind of falls apart um and that's i mean once again it's a it's a it's a situation where unlike the game this one has the ability to at least say well it was in his imagination, wasn't it? He was an imaginary guy. Um, he's an unreliable narrator, whereas in the game yeah. they don't have that excuse. Why did he jump off that side of the building? How did you know he was going to jump off that side of the building when there was three other sides he could have leapt off? If he'd done that, would he have died? Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, and it's weirdly the other other end of the spectrum, isn't it? Because in the, in the game, what we said at the end of that movie is, like, if you're wealthy, you're wealthy. <laughs> Yeah. at the end of this one what they're saying is destroy wealth it's like Fincher almost takes the opposite opposite side of the coin to run on this but yeah I think it's got great for the most part great performances I don't like Meatloaf in this at all I don't think he adds anything necessarily to it he has a look about him for sure but I don't think he's you know if his character wasn't in this and he was replaced by some other blubbering idiot then I would have been fine um I yeah. don't. I, I, I'm not a particular fan of meatloaf a day. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and I know a lot of people love the Bob Paulson character. I understand why the character exists in the movie, and and, and the character's I, I, but I agree. Fine, I don't know that, but I don't know. Yeah, but. I think I think the character's fine in the movie, and he has a purpose. I just don't necessarily think meatloaf brings like he was a name attached to this that you were supposed right. to be like, oh, meatloafs. I don't know if anyone was like that. Any teenage, Is like the, eighteen year old guy was like meatloafs in this fucking movie. Right. Yeah. Whoa. Like. Um, once again, <laughs> carrying the anti-corporate torch, Meatloaf a day, uh, <laughs> who, who has clearly pimped everything in his music at one time or another. Oh, God, yeah. yeah, it's you know, like there are things I I genuinely love about this movie. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, here's something. Here are two things we haven't talked about that I really love. Go for it. 
One is uh, when they're talking about splicing the movie. Oh, uh, the whole scene <laughs> where it, it's about Brad Pitt splicing in like one frame of porn. Yes. Into family movies so that nobody realizes what they saw. Yeah, and then those but that everyone, think they like, might have, they won't have that conversation. But did you see a did you see a giant dick on the screen? The, <laughs> but the cutaway to the like you know when Ed, the narrator Ed Norton is saying nobody knew that they saw it, but you know in their brains they registered it. Are you about to are you about to laugh at the fact that there's a small girl crying? <laughs> Yes, You're a bad they man. cut to a little girl just weeping because they explicitly say that what the frame was was a big cock. Yep. And the <laughs> idea that just her emotional response to a, at a subliminal level yep. to see a cock is just tears. Yes. It's very funny to me. And then there's the couple that's like, say yeah <laughs> you feel like fucking later i don't know well, also why the I'm fact that at the very end of the movie the very end of this movie they splice the same reel but we get to see it this time which yeah it's kind of well once again it's tongue-in-cheek it's like that it's the humor that you mentioned earlier on about oh flashback reference huh uh you know what i mean it's yeah. that it's that sort of thing i think it's kind of funny what was the other scene yeah. And well, and it's kind of in the same sequence, but I, it's as they're explaining the editing process, mm -hmm. and it's a real fourth wall breaking moment of the film where the movie is kind of talking about the business of movies. Yes. And saying that as a projectionist, there are these little things that are, you know, called cigarette burns. Mm -hmm. And there's a great moment. It was one of the first times I, and the first time I saw it, it impressed me, still does, is how flawless it is that moment where Brad Pitt just kind of reaches his arm up and points yeah and the cigarette burn flashes which you know obviously is not that difficult to do with editing and all yeah, that yeah. but it's still one of those moments i'm like man i love that this movie talks about the business of movie but like the the uh uh exhibition of movies yeah and that because again it gets to this is not the the fancy people making the movies this is the people splicing it together making sure it gets on the screen yeah that kind of stuff again the essential workers part of it um and i like that stuff a lot and i and i think that david fincher directs the ever-living fuck out of this movie oh from front to back this is this is a meticulous labor of love like i, yes. I can't i can't i cannot underestimate um or overpraise how Every single shot of this movie is immaculate. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah, for all my complaints with the movie, not once is the complaint like this this scene doesn't look good, yeah. it doesn't move right, like it's not well lit. Like some of the construction and editing stuff that I have problems with. Uh, you know, that yes, that is directorial and that is movie making, but in terms of just making this movie a watchable thing. Mm holy shit man fincher just makes a good looking film yeah really um, really really does and once again like a, a lot of use of digital and mm -hmm. here like fuckery a lot of digital fuckery in this movie that but it the stands opening up surprisingly well out with the credits uh, yeah which are a bit... the that opening credit sequence though when you're kind of traveling from the atom level up through yeah. you know all that stuff um fincher rips that same shot off of himself for panic room it's a total it's a different shot mm -hmm. but it's the same flow of like i'm gonna do a one shot that is highly digital that's gonna go through this environment 
Yeah. And and he loves that man. He loves a, a digital one shot. <laughs> well, he's, he's like well, when we get to talking about Zodiac, which is not that far away, and uh, when we get to talking about Zodiac, we get to discuss like every, uh, the amount of digital that's in that is is mind blowing. Like yeah. the the, yeah, the, yeah. the the you know the cityscapes and all the rest, all of it digital, and it's seamless. It's it's fucking seamless. The guy has always had his fingers in that, and I think that's one of the the more interesting elements because he uses it for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons that a lot of people use um, CGI and digital uh, and and their and their movies. I think he uses it from the right approach. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. Like I say, to me, um, it's still a great, it's still a great fun movie. I I'm, I'm kind of putting my cards on the table here. At this stage, I still don't think it's Fincher's best movie um, from the ones we've seen. What? Yeah, I know, I know. Like when I when I think about the movie, I actually put this right behind Seven. I think Seven is the superior movie, which I know I'm about to ask you about. But we 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 have an interesting journey ahead of us as well yeah. uh, in terms of movies because we're about to go breakneck into. Some some interesting territory to be sure, um, and a movie which we're going to do a reversal on uh, in terms of our opinions. So, Bo, like I've already given it away. When it comes to the the lineup of these, Seven's still the best movie uh, that Fincher's put out, in my opinion, at this stage. Are you agreeing with me, or has Fight Club won you over? Um, that the, both of those things are true. Um, I I it has won me over a little more i i think my opinion of it is better on this viewing mm-hmm. just because of the craftsmanship level mm-hmm. of of this film of like how expertly it is directed um i still have the same problems with the you know that kind of teen angsty stuff yeah. as you put it it's just I, it, it was too late for me at the time. It's way too late for me now. <laughs> um, it it feels uh, like a little bit of self entitled whining mm. more than it does cultural critique uh, for me. But it's still uh, it's still awfully funny at times. Like that little girl crying about a cock that <laughs> <laughs> does make me laugh. Um, yeah, and it's got great performances. Brad Pitt's a shit ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, it's nowhere near as good as seven. Seven is still the best venture movie we've discussed so far. But I would agree with that order. I would I, I it goes seven, then Fight Club, and then probably Alien Three, and then the game for me. Nice, nice, right. Well, Bo, as you are very much aware, the next mm-hmm. movie we'll be tackling next month is Panic Room. Uh, Fuck, that's a good movie, Duncan. So this is the this is the reversal in that I've seen Panic Room once I saw it when it came out, and I remember not really enjoying it so uh, and you on the other hand have uh, uh, all but all but told me i am wrong um and this viewing might change my opinion on it so i'm I'm very much looking forward to it yeah i'm looking forward to it i I, like i'm not gonna push you on this one Mm. because i i don't want you to feel like it's something you're obligated to like (laughs) just because i do but uh, I'll, I will say that I hope you enjoy it because for me, I, and I watched it again. I'll watch it again before we record the next one, mm-hmm. but I watched it within the past six weeks uh, just because I, I kind of had a hankering, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, a little a little preview of things to come. I Man, I just adore it. I think it's, it's, it's wound tight 
and uh, it's got low stakes compared to you know a seven or a fight club mm -hmm. but I think it benefits from like hey this ain't about blowing up buildings or serial killers or nothing <laughs> this is just about this one building and a, and a robbery gone bad mm -hmm. and it's oh man I love it I love it oh i can't wait to talk about it holy shit we're only one month away my friend one month away you do a lot of exciting things uh let people know where they can check out the stuff that you're doing right now yeah um well right now i'm doing opera omnia with you <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> is this what so, it's like is this is this what it's like when you say say goodbye duncan i say say goodbye duncan yeah is it, is you do the same thing to me you motherfucker uh you son of a bitch um <laughs> uh, no, uh, over on legionpodcasts.com, you can find uh, all the stuff I do as well as uh, a bunch of other shows. Uh, for the stuff that I do, I would I would entreat uh, the listeners of this program, if you enjoyed this kind of thing. Uh, Pick Six Movies is with my buddy Chad um, that I mentioned earlier mm -hmm. in the, uh, in the riveting Natural Born Killer story, <laughs> uh, which will clearly be a highlight of this episode. And uh, yeah, yeah, we we do a show where we pick uh, six movies, as the title suggests, around a central theme. Uh, we actually do a little history segment on the front end of it uh, to give you some information about it, and then we we come together on the back end to make fun of it. Uh, we just re released an episode on from Justin to Kelly, which was the American Idol movie, uh, in a season that we have called a flop is born, all about movies where they just try to make a singer uh an actor mm -hmm. uh and it turns out those are two very different skills and uh i can't tell you how from justin to kelly um is is just one of the worst things you'll ever put your eyes on <laughs> so uh but it's a funny conversation and uh and I, I would ask you to check that out along with uh if you're interested in in the horror movies i do a show called hero hero ghost show which is all about asian horror um, and then, uh, also Duncan, I know you've never listened, but we do a show called Duncan and Bo come correct. Oh, I've never listened to that. Is that any good? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I'll tell you if you would leave us a review, that would be appreciated. But, um, the, uh, this season, we just wrapped the finale of slasher, oh uh, the season one of slasher, which oh. was a real something. <laughs> And, uh, and that that was a, a really fun run of shows. And then uh, coming up in just uh, a little bit, if you're listening to this, uh, you were mere days away probably from uh, hearing du Duncan and I discuss the uh, the first Duran Duran record because yeah, sometimes we do dumb shit. <laughs> why not? <laughs> but yeah, because yeah, it's a whole lot of why not. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll <laughs> then we'll launch into a second season of Slasher. But we had to have something in between oh, that God, that yeah. wasn't. You know, I need a little Rio in my life in between slasher seasons, <laughs> is all I'm saying. I got to dance across the sand, Duncan, at least for a little bit. I Feel my toes in the sand. Mm, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Ladies and gents, thanks very much for checking out Opera Omnia. We'll be back in one month's time with Panic Room. But until then, this conversation is over. <laughs>